Welcome to Countdown to Kickoff, part of Oregon College Game Day with Judah Newby and Neil Lomax. Presented by Frost Brood Coors Light on 1029 and 750 The Game. All right, welcome in. It is Countdown to Kickoff. Judah Newby, College Football Hall of Famer Neil Lomax getting you ready for the Red Box Bowl at noon between the Oregon Ducks, 8 and 4, fourth in the Pac 12 North against the Michigan State Spartans, 7 and 5, fourth in the Big Ten East Division. Jordan Kent, Brian Perkins sticking with us. A little crosstalk from the Oregon College Football Show as well as uh, we get ready for Ducks and Sparty. Just a couple of narratives to flesh out here, gentlemen. Yesterday, we get the news early on a Sunday morning that Mark Richt retires from the University of Miami, and it took no less than two seconds for Duck fans to start to wonder a little bit about the future of their own head coach, Mario Cristobal. Now, buyout clauses and, and figures aside... You understand where that uh, <laughs> a little bit of concern came from. We're less than a year removed from Slick Willie doing the same thing and piecing from Eugene to Tallahassee. Would Mario Cristobal do the same thing for his alma mater, uh, class of 93 Miami Hurricane, where he played with his brother and won a national championship as an offensive lineman under the great Dennis Erickson? Jordan Kent, what were your thoughts when Rick announced his retirement and then we had that about 12-hour span of kind of wondering what the future would be like for Mario Cristobal. I poured a glass of lemonade. I wasn't even worried one bit, to be honest. <laughs> you look at a couple things here that wouldn't allow this to happen. Number one, how recent Willie Taggart left for Florida State, I think would have made Cristobal leaving look that much worse to have scorned Oregon right after they had been scorned. So that's number one. Number two, Credit Rob Mullins. They put in a hefty buyout for this contract with Cristobal. I'm sure they made it very clear If you're going to be here, you're going to be here for a while. So if Miami calls or whatever, we do not want you leaving. Let's be clear on that. That's number two. And then number three, you have Herbert and this recruiting class coming back. Yes, Miami is your alma mater, but I think he's experienced everything you have at Oregon to recruit with. And the fact that you have this coming in, you've got a better chance to compete for a title at Oregon in the near future than you do at Miami right now, based upon what you have with that recruiting class coming in. So I look at all those factors. Plus it seems like his family really likes Eugene and he really likes being where he's at right now. And I think that says a lot. So wasn't worried one bit. Yeah, he he does love Eugene. He is winning big on the recruiting trail for sure. And hopefully he wins big on the football field at Oregon as well. But Neil, the pull of going home, is a real pull. We see it with coaches all the time and mentioned the Willie situation from a year ago. If someone asks you the question right now, like I will just right now, what's the better job for a head coach? Miami Hurricanes, Oregon Ducks. Well, well, first of all, he had a glass of lemonade. I had 12, I had a pint of Mac and Jack's Amber Ale because <laughs> I was at the Seahawks Cardinal game, so lemonade. He's lying about that, number one. He didn't drink lemonade. It's too much sugar. Number two, I don't even care about freaking Miami. They can get Dwayne Johnson. Go ahead, get him. Get the rock back there and coach, man. You know, this whole co- – and, and to be serious, though, you know, Jordan and I had a really good conversation at the break about these coaches and quality of life. I mean, their families. Moving these families, these kids in and out of high schools and middle schools and for an extra million or two million, we're talking about getting a nice mid-major job. The, the Chris Peter. So it's kind of, like you said, who, who, what kind of cloth are they kind of made out of, Judy? Kinda, are they that way to be the ego and, yeah, I want to go here and go there? I mean, what's a better job in Oregon? We talked about with Willie Taggart. I mean, you're going to really do a better job at Oregon, go to Florida State. And how's that turned out, by the way? It's plus, not plus they, good. Yeah. But it is personal, very personal. But you got to worry about your family and your kid. He's got mm-hmm. three. 
two kids, two, two I kids, believe. Two. Yeah, two boys. And all of a sudden, that that's a big deal. Is that an extra million or two? And especially when you're already getting millions. It's it's one thing if you're like a coordinator and you're listen, it's still a lot of money as a coordinator if you're making three, four hundred thousand. And, and it is his chance, home. George, it is his home. Right. I gotta admit that's so that's the big splash right. yesterday, even at the Seahawk game. It kinda hit the Twitter. Yeah. Guys, Mario Cristobal leaving Oregon? You got really? No. But then again. But and here's the thing, he's spent two years at Oregon now. It wasn't like Willie Taggart, who was not even in the state for a full calendar year. That's a little different, too. But now that you've had a chance to establish some roots, that makes a big difference as well, too. But I, I think also for him and these recruits, and you had the signing period finish as well, too. Taggart, it happened before the signing period yeah. was concluded. You've gone into homes, and parents have trusted you with their children. Right. And that's another layer right there. Yeah, timing so, is everything with this stuff. Right. So, so not quite Scott Frost leaving UCF to go to his. No, that's. It wasn't, I mean, Mario Cristobal's not, it wasn't the UC. He's not no. at a UCF. No. At Oregon. Right, exactly. <laughs> Oregon, if Oregon goes undefeated, they play in the college football playoff. Absolutely. UCF does not. And that's the difference right there. For yeah. Scott Frost is you get to that even playing field. It's your alma mater as well, too. That's a little different right there and you look at what he was able to build at UCF during his time there I think as a coach if you can get the program to where it's capable of getting there's a sense of okay I've put my stamp on this program Cristobal has not it'd be different if six years at Oregon they'd won a Pac-12 title they've gone to the college football playoff and they had tasted that and then Miami comes calling yeah. that's different and he makes a book. great point I mean having Justin Herbert stay says a lot about Mario Cristobal. Mm -hmm. Having these offensive linemen stay mm -hmm. says a lot about Mario Cristobal. Yeah, it would have been having, pretty bad having, luck. Having too. these having these seniors stay who have a chance to go pro and go pro day and go with all these other trainers to get ready for the combine, stay and play in a game says a lot about your head coach. And one more thing, too. Who was the coaching candidate that the players signed a petition for last season when Oregon was looking for a head coach? MC. Mario Cristobal. Mm-hmm. It's very true. You can't turn your back on that. Let's quickly talk 2019 expectations and then get a pick on this game. Brian Perkins, 2019, week one out of the gate will be Auburn. Mm. What does this mean, Brian Jordan Neal, about the expectation level for the Oregon Ducks next season, given Herbie's coming back, the entire O-line's intact, uh, you'll have the staff coming back, and uh, a lot of key players returning at key positions. Yeah, it feels like expectations should be high, but as Jordan, you talked about it uh, during the show, Man, what a tough schedule next year. Not only do you have Auburn neutral site, then you're what you're at Washington, you're at, at USC, Stanford, and at Stanford, at Stanford next mm -hmm. season. So, you know, I mean, I think that if you're not flirting with 10 wins in the regular season, th this season is not a success. And that's going to be tough to do because even if you go, let's say, two and two in those four games, you're still having to win out. Uh, the rest of your schedule to uh, to get to that 10-win mark. So, uh, you know what, though? Look, this coaching staff is coming back for a second consecutive season. You have your your franchise quarterback, if you will, uh, for one more year. Lots of guys returning as well for, for senior seasons. Uh, no excuses. Got to go out there and win these games, especially given the state of the conference right now. I mean, it's gettable, right? I mean, the conference ha has been soft, and Clay Helton's back again somehow at USC. New offense. Um yeah, your right. offense with them, Jacob Beeson mm -hmm. at UW. The, the, all the teams that you think will be tough will be tough, and there's always a surprise team a la Wazoo this year. Yeah, everybody has turnover as well, too. Uh, there's some big decisions that have to be made at certain positions. Washington's going to have a new quarterback. Stanford will have some turnover, too. I think the over-under for whether or not you're happy with this Oregon team next year is 9.5 wins. They get to 10. You're pleased with that. If Are we talking nine, regular season wins? Regular season. Regular season. Regular okay. season wins. But I think for Oregon, again, 
you have to be careful about placing so much emphasis on next year because Herbert's coming back. Yes, that's great. But you have to look at the big picture, and you have to look at, let's let this next recruiting class develop. Let next year be a year of success to set the foundation for a lot of those freshmen that are coming in that might get some playing time, might redshirt, that can then take advantage of when they're juniors and the schedule flips in your favor when you are home against Stanford, home Mm -hmm. against Washington. I think that's the long play. You want to see some progress next year. But understand that because of the schedule, it might not be this 11-1 campaign. Neil, right out of the gate, week one will be Auburn. Yeah, yeah. This is not San Jose State, Portland State, Bowling Green. We criticized that right away on that 3-0 mm-hmm. start. We did. Would that play out? And look how it kind of played out. So this is totally flipped the, the switch on this one. Uh, yeah, I, I think the expectation is that you don't go to the Pac-12 championship game, a disappointment. If you don't go to the Pac, if you don't represent the North, and go to the Pac-12 championship game and really should win it, that's going to be the expectation. If everybody kind of stays healthy all through spring, there's going to be so much talk about how great this team will be because of Justin Herbert's coming back, offensive line coming back. Don't forget, C.J. Vardell, he had a lot of these freshmen, Travis mm-hmm. Dye. So the four- and five-star recruits that were recruited two or three years ago, they're due now. Mm-hmm. Where are those guys? Let's you got to start playing now. I don't care about this class that you just – those guys who were four and five stars two years ago, they need to step up. Defensively, they're fairly young. So it I think, Jordan, the expectations are maybe you're a duck and you might be a little more a shift back down a little bit here, but I think guys are going fourth gear right away and go, you gotta win the Pac twelve now to beat Auburn because Stidman's gone and man, Washington should have beat him last, whatever, whatever. It's a it's a tough road, but expectations are very high. That's what I'm saying. If you go ten and two, you're basically saying you're gonna the, the four tough games, I think we all agree are the three conference road games, USC, Stanford, Washington, and Auburn. If you go 2-2 two and two and then win the rest of your games, that's 10-2 and two during the regular season. I think you're happy with that if you're a Duck fan. 9-3, and three, that means you most likely went 1-3 and three in those games or you lost a game somewhere on your schedule that you shouldn't have been losing. So I think that's why 9.5 is sort of the line I would put for Oregon next year for the over-under for my level of... Am I going to be satisfied with this season or thinking that this team underachieved? Also, also two bye weeks next next yeah. year for the first time. We haven't really seen that, so mm-hmm. that will help the the, the health cause that yeah. you know bid Oregon a little bit in the middle of the year. This year, we're also still awaiting the decisions until Monday, January 14th, uh, whether or not underclassmen can declare for the NFL draft. Still looking at Troy Dye, still looking at Dylan Mitchell in those regards. If Mitchell stays, target monster that he is with the influx of Four-star talent on the outside that uh, the Ducks just signed on. Could be pretty special next year. Quickly, a pick on this game, and Neil will continue to talk about it as well. But you look at Oregon against Michigan State. The line was Oregon minus two, then minus two and a half. And then I looked this morning, it's back down to one and a half for mm-hmm. Oregon. So we're getting some uh, action both sides of the aisle. Neil, where would you lean right about now, Ducks Sparty? Yeah, the only thing Sparty got going for them, I think, is Mark D'Antonio. The experience he brings, you know, he's five and five as coach. I guess he's six and one in bowl games in California. You kind of throw out the window. They are boring on offense. Let's just play it out there. Mm-hmm. Boring numbers are numbers. They Le- do match Le- up. Bell. Le- Bell ain't walking through that nothing, door. There's nothing going on. They're, when their backs is, you know, he's going to go the off uh, the NFL. But he didn't do anything this year really anyway. Um, they don't really have much to offer offensively. They don't. Defensively is where they're going to play. Yep. They're going to put their stake in the ground, their flag in the ground. We're going to hold you guys to 19.8 points a game and under 100 yards rushing. I don't think they're going to do that against Oregon. Oregon wins this football game by more than one. 
I'll definitely <laughs> <Come on. laughs> lay the point. I got them at least 10 point, 10 point victory in this football game. What do you think, Jordan? I got Oregon 24 17. I think it's going to be a lower scoring affair because of that defense for Michigan mm-hmm. State. But you're keeping an eye on the rush defense for both teams here. The stat, as we said, Michigan State's 7 and 1 when they rush for 100 plus yards. So can Oregon keep them under 100 yards? And then you look at Oregon 6 and 0 when Herbert throws fewer than 33 times. That means you're running the ball. I think Oregon does rush for more than 100 yards. I think C.J. Verdell eclipses that 100-yard mark. I think the Ducks get the win today. Perkins, you've always uh, you know, been the most consistent uh, wearer of the black hat all year long. Where, where are you going <laughs> to go? Where's the black hat? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I'll put that on again then. Are you? 2017 Michigan State. Uh, I just, I, I, honestly, I can see this game going either way, which is a total cop-out. But I just like Michigan State, man. I, I've, we've seen this story with Oregon this season going up against tough defense. I really think they're going to struggle to run the football in this game. And I know, Jordan, you're pretty optimistic about it. And the offensive line, you know, being healthy for the first time in a long time is definitely going to make a difference. But I just feel like Michigan State's defense is going to make more plays and uh, do enough to get them to win. Their offense is pretty abhorrent. I mean, they're, I think, 117th in the country in total offense, uh, Michigan State. So I feel like the defense is... Might have to at least put them in scoring position, if not maybe have a defensive score to win this game. But, you know, Oregon's coughed up the ball in big moments this season, so could happen again. Jordan, I'm with you. I think this is going to be, I'm going to say 23-16. I'm going to say this goes to overtime. Overtime really? in Santa Clara. Overtime. 23-16. So, no, no, so, so think about what you just said right there. Yeah. 23-16 overtime. Ducks so get the ball first. They score, score extra touchdown. point, and they hold them. Okay, they hold them, all right. Red zone defense, top five FBS. They get the ball, they're going to score. They get the ball. Oh, dude, come on. It's too soon. By the way, Seahawks in the playoffs. Let's go. We got a touchdown <laughs> Boy, and he just, three field goals. Just a flip team switch in regulation. Like that, I'm watching that game. I'm okay. Can you block another point in the NFL? I mean, I'm mean, a punts. I'm like, my God, they had two block punts. The, the punt return for the Cardinals. Jax runs it back 80 yards for a score. So that... Whoever is a special team, I didn't, I didn't look it up because I'm getting ready for the Oregon game, but Pete Carroll's got to look at that special Brian team. Brian Shatter. Is it Brian Shatter? Yeah. yeah. Can, we, can we have a couple meetings on this punt team? Mm-hmm. That was, oh my God. It was messy, man. So, and special teams, Jordan knows in the NFL, offense deep, but special teams in playoffs is huge. Oh, monstrous. Huge. Those guys now, kickoff coverage, Crap. kickoff return, punt, because everybody's going to be punting All eight takes is one mistake. Yeah. Hey, who do you like in the in the NFL playoffs really quick? AFC, NFC? Uh, I'm looking at this one, and I really like New Orleans for what they've been doing lately. They just, they're just they so good on both sides of the ball right now. And then AFC, I am still, I, as much as I want to say Kansas City, something tells me that without Hunt in the lineup, they're just not the same dynamic team they are. I don't know if New England has quite the horses as well, too. I feel they're like back if, home having a bye again. It's, they're uh, back home. Having a bye I've week got this weird feeling that like Baltimore, Baltimore is going to do really well this year for the AFC, and so at Baltimore LA Chargers game Sunday morning will be interesting. Neil, I know you like Philip yeah. Rivers. I just love Philip Rivers. Yeah. He's not going to pull it out I, in, in I, Baltimore. I, I just love Philip Rivers. I, I, I love yeah. Drew Brees. They're thirty-eight, thirty-nine. But what if Chip Kelly had Lamar Jackson at Philadelphia, Ooh. and they all bought into it? Let's go ahead and do this. Yeah. Runs read zone stuff. Lamar Jackson. Well, he had Don't worry Mike about Vick getting hurt. First year, they were great. Yeah. They won ten games. So he will get hurt. One yeah. of his games, Lamar yeah. is going to get hurt. But it's a nice run to watch. It really is. All right, gentlemen. Can I just say, bottom of my heart, Jordan, it's been great working with you all season long. Happy New Year. Blessings to you and your family. Yeah, thank you so much. Going into 2019, we'll be watching you on the uh, 
television. Always a pleasure, my friend. Thank uh, you so much. He looks good on TV, doesn't he? Yeah, you do? makeup can do some great things. Yeah, he does, man. Good to work with you, yeah. too, Judah. Thanks. Oh, yeah. hey, Perkins. Yeah. <laughs> I will be seeing you this week. We will do a, we do a Seahawks podcast that's just taking the world by storm right now. And uh, preview in Dallas Cowboys coming up Saturday night. Oh, man, the visions of 2006 are coming back. Tony Romo putting the punt team, man. I tell you what, down, you better, fix, you better fix that punt team. All right, we'll Ooh. get out. Nick Aliotti, James Creppy, the Oregonian coming up. More countdown to kick off myself and Neil Lomax coming up on the other side. Ducks and Spartans at noon on Fox. All right, welcome in. Countdown to kick off. Just uh, said the last goodbye of 2018 to Jordan Kent and Brian Perkins on their way out the door. Great working with those guys as always. Neil Lomax, Judah Newby, Josiah Carrera spinning it behind the glass as well. Resident Duck fan back there. Also resident Cowboy fan, so we're not speaking this week. Uh, go Hawks. Neil, uh, you were up in Seattle yesterday, and I did see the news this morning that the Cardinals parted ways with Steve Wilkes after one season, and they will have the number one pick in the draft. So how are you feeling about that? Well, it's, it's Michael Bidwell's call. You know, he's the the son of, of, of Bill, William Bidwell, um, number actually number two son. Uh, Billy Jr. doesn't want anything to do with the team, so Michael Bidwell took over, general manager slash CEO, president, um, and that's his assistant, but one year, you give a guy one year, I mean, I know it's the pros and millions of dollars and all that, and that's their decision. It must have just been not the chemistry they wanted there. Uh, I'm not down there 24-7. You know, I hear from different guys and the radio guys, my buddy Roy Green and different people down there. It just, it just wasn't the chemistry. It wasn't what they wanted in the locker room, and he made a bad decision, and uh, that falls a lot on the GM too. You know, that's, that's their, uh, you know, Cam, Cam's got to do better hires. He's the general manager. Michael gives him a lot of choice. So it's just sad to see a guy get one year to try to change the culture of a professional team, and you're out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Dick Cutter's gone. Yeah, Dirk, and, Dirk's uh, out here. The former. Bulls. I played against old Bull, you know, Todd Bulls from the Jets, but he he had a couple extra mulligans there. That's a little different with the Jets. They've he had been three bad. seasons. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and he had a first year, you know, rookie quarterback. Just couldn't get it done this year as well. I think right now they are eight open. NFL head coaching vacancies, and uh, your phone's just been blowing up like crazy today. You know? It's just a matter of time before you're just going to walk yeah. out the door and I'm take one I'm still waiting on Rick Neuheisel giving me the offensive court, or Mike Singletary. I mean, how many times he knocked me around with the bolt with the Bears? I was wondering Mike, about that. Because Mike's, I don't even know what team he's at. You're probably going to look it up here with this, uh, you know, the American Alliance of Football, this spring league coming up. But, man, come on, throw me a couple hundred thousand dollars. I'll, I'll just be your OC and your quarterback coach and hang out and – San Antonio or Dallas. Well, I don't know where they're even at. You're going to pop it up, but I think um, yeah, I think I'm not. Right. I'm not. I'm not Memphis, losing Memphis Express. Yeah, okay. I'm not yeah. that ex- excited right now to watch some spring football in February. You know, I start getting the golf clubs out and getting a little ready. But um, Dude, yeah, I, was... I watched the Cardinals and the Seahawks yesterday in a pro game. Pro game is very interesting. It's all about momentum too. It reminds me of the, they just take runs. Like the Seahawks had a little run late in the first quarter, then all of a sudden it, it gets turned around with special teams. Uh, Folks just don't understand that how much in the especially in the pros that changes the complexity of a game of field position flipping the field and you get two of your punts blocked two and then a punt return for seventy five yards that was three really almost three scores but almost three touchdowns you take that away and the Seahawks kind of we're going to play a lot better but um, you know four or five sacks too that's a concern yeah. about Seahawks fans offensive line again here we go Russell Wilson extending plays that's how they win games. That's how they move the sticks. It's Russell Wilson with his feet, with his mind, 
and he's incredible. I really impressed with him last night, making some big plays. Well, they they had to they were without two interior linemen yesterday, where the Seahawks Jr. Sweezy got hurt. They also had. Um, Fluker, DJ Fluker, their run paver at right guard, get hurt. So they had to kick in a yeah. Fetty from right tackle to right guard. That did not go well. Six sacks, as you mentioned, that they gave up. So, you know, I'm looking at that matchup with the Seahawks and Cowboys. To me, it looks like two teams that are very similar. Like to run the football with the Zeke and then the run game that Seattle has. Play good defense. I mean, Van Der Esch, the linebacker in Dallas, the Boise State kid yeah. that did great things against the Ducks this time last year. He's anchoring a really great defense in, in Dallas right now. Scott Linehan, who's got Beaverton ties, he's the OC with the Cowboys too, Neil. I mean, it's going to – it's interesting. I just think better quarterback play with the Seahawks. Hopefully I'll tell you what, that though, Dallas down. exciting. They, they they made that game yesterday exciting. Josiah's a big Cowboy fan here, huh? He is. Well, number one, I, I can't stand the Cowboys. They suck. <laughs> I hate them. Because you know, tell you, me how you, you really you know feel, why. Neil. You know why? <laughs> oh yeah, you were I, in their division. Yeah, huh? for ten oh, for yeah. ten I years. The Cardinals I could, in that division. I still got Randy White and Two Tall Jones's <laughs> logo like imprint on one of my ribs. White there and Emerson Walls, I think, picked me off four or five times. Probably in a game. He'll probably say in a game. But <laughs> watching that game yesterday, and I, I I'm trying to understand the rules. So one knee now equals two feet or two feet mm-hmm. or. But that number one, what a hell of a catch! That catch. A Beasley. Beasley in the back of the Amazing. end zone. Amazing. Yeah. And Dak yeah. going to his left and making that throw you look good. on fourth and f- I mean, that that was incredible. So yeah. I give I give props to the Cowboys. I really do for that. To make that game really exciting. Because they really didn't have to win that game. They didn't, but they played like it was a playoff game. So I'm 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 a Seahawk fan. I'm pretty worried going there because they're excited. They're pumped up. Yeah. And is, they is, got week, it. Uh, is week seventeen momentum? Real when you're talking about going into the wild card, sure, especially when they have a bye and they stayed healthy. Yeah, they played their whole team. They, they stayed healthy. Uh, you know, Zeke probably didn't run the ball at all. They were scoring 35 points, 37 play, points. Zeke didn't play. Oh, yeah. so that's that's probably why he didn't run the ball. <laughs> yeah, I'm watching it from the bar in Seattle. <laughs> yes, you know, we're, we're waiting for the game. We're in this huge. There's like a thousand people there. They got like 18 games going on. I'm watching. Ooh. I go, look at that. I go, guys, look at this game. Yeah. This is the Giants who are so boring to watch. But man, this is fun. They're scoring back and forth. That fourth quarter was exciting Crazy. to watch. That was really fun to watch. Speaking of Giants, would you give Rookie of the Year this year to Saquon Barkley and everything he's done on a Ooh. bad team or Baker Mayfield for what he did at the quarterback position and, uh, you know, nearly got Cleveland a 500 record? Yeah, you you got to give credit to both of them, how well they played. And, and for not being a bust, Saquon Barkley, for not being number one pick overall and to perform the way he has performed, staying healthy. Number, number two, Baker was, was it, number Oh, Baker one. was number one. Yeah. Okay. Those, so... Give both of those guys huge amount of credit for being in there. And you're right. He's on Baker Mayfield, very, very poor football team. But I tell you what, the one guy I love to watch for the Browns is Miles Garrett, that defensive end. It's fun when he puts his hand down. He comes from that, we call it that little jet seven technique. He comes at you pretty good. So he's fun to watch defensively. But Barkley was all but not more of what they expected. I think he deserves to be rookie of the year. You talk a lot about the pass rushers that you had to face in the 80s. And boy, were there a lot of good ones. I'd have thought that came to mind this week. You know, I was thinking about Jeff Fisher, and he was on the '85 Bears as a defensive back. Yeah. Did you? What were your memories of playing against that defense? Did you play against Chicago? Oh, yeah, in yeah, yeah, like, yeah. We we played him every year because the Cardinals and Bears right. had a little rivalry. So during the season, we always played the Chicago Bears and the up Cardinals, there in Solar Field. And originated we, in Chicago, didn't they? That's Before correct. St. Louis, 1961. And, the, yeah. the Bidwell family moved them down, and there's a story behind that. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, Mike Singletary. Uh, to me, was the most impressive defensive play caller I've ever gone against. To have him there in the middle linebacker spot, 
and to recognize what we're doing offensively and to call out change. He was their quarterback. He was their guy. Everybody knows about the eyes and the NFL films and the, all the, the, the videos and everything, but he would understand us so well. He would call out different coverages and things. He was a step ahead of me, and I was checking out based on their coverages. And I, So I really have nothing but great things to sing about Mike Singletary, and he's coaching the Memphis Express, you said. Is that correct? You're correct. The so, Memphis Express. Good for him. Glad he's still involved. Awesome player. We, we loved our rivalry against the Bears, and I love playing against or watching Sweetness. For watching Walter Payton, it's like the Tony Dorsett's and the Marcus Allens, the O.J. Simpsons when he was playing football. You know, just to, 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 to watch greatness was, was a pleasure in those years. And we need more story time with Neil. That's what we do. We used to crack open the little hot cocoa. Mr. Rogers, Lomax yeah. neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we'll forego that. Dude. Ducks, Ducks and Sparty, though. They're coming. They are coming. We'll talk more about that game coming up on the other side. Plus, Nick Aliotti will join us at 1130. James Creppy, the Oregonian, live from Levi Stadium, coming up in a half an hour. And you as well. You can call in with your score prediction if you'd like. Early on a New Year's Eve at 503-417-7575. This is Countdown to Kickoff with Chuda Newby and Neil Lomax on 1029-750 The Game. We'll go live to Santa Clara coming up in uh, just over 20 minutes. Countdown to Kickoff, Chuda Newby and Neil Lomax. Previewing the Red Box Bowl, Oregon Ducks and Michigan State Spartans. Both of these teams finished fourth in their respective divisions. Ducks have the uh, personnel offensively to indicate that, you know, they'll be able to put up some points, except for the fact that this is the best defense that they have faced all year. Sons Washington, even Washington, they faced at Autzen, and they were able to run the football on them. Michigan State comes in boasting the best rushing defense in the entire country. They're playing on a neutral site in Santa Clara. I've got my concerns, Neil, about the ability of Oregon to put up a lot of points in this game, but it doesn't sound like you necessarily share those same concerns. Yeah, well, I don't think it's going to be a 45-20 game or a 50-pointer by Oregon. I, I just don't know how time off affects different teams. That's why I was mentioned earlier with, with Jordan Kent that coaches have a huge huge pressure and a huge ability to get these guys motivated in like a four or five day span. We all make the trip down there. I mean, it's really kind of started about four days ago. I saw Michigan state was at Laney college. You know, they were working out Oregon's at a different community call. They're working out and that's kind of, okay, that's game time. We're ready. Cause you know, 40 days off, you know, they're doing the finals. It's Christmas break. You're going home. Most of these guys do go home and uh, see their families. And then, Hey, we'll meet back in the Bay area on December 27th. You know, get your fanny back here. We got four days to get ready. You know, that's kind of the game. So, to me, the pressure is on the coaching staffs to get these guys ready. And Coach D'Antonio has been through it a long, long time. I know Coach Cristobal has been around it too. These guys have been around But just be interesting to see how they all come out. The first couple series is really important. You know, neutral site, the whole thing, grass field. You know, Spartan Stadium is grass in East Lansing. So, defense is what Michigan State's all about. I, I think Brian Perkins is right. If their defense scores a touchdown or blocks a punt or – Picks up a loose ball here and there, it'll be a seven-point game. If not, Oregon, I think, well, the, the numbers match out. I mean, let's, let's take some numbers here. I mean, total offense, this total offense, uh, you know, Oregon's averaging, you know, like 420 yards per game. Michigan State, 230. I mean, touchdowns, total touchdowns scored. Oregon scored 61 touchdowns this year. 61. Michigan State, 27. I mean, wow. you just go, I mean, offense, that's off. And I thought because in Oregon, it wasn't blowing people out like in the past. That's just the effectiveness of C.J. Vardell running the ball well, Justin Herbert. I mean, total offense-wise, Oregon has over 1,200 more yards. 
1,200 more yards than Michigan State's offense. And, you know, you're complaining and moaning about Justin Herbert throwing 60% of his passes. Is it 59? That's oh, not 59. good. It's not good. Okay. Not good for college football. That's like, you can't get me for that. It's not a good number okay, for what's Brian, college football. What's Brian Lewerke? No, I'm probably like 56. 54. Okay, he's at 54. <laughs> Brian Lewerke, man. Okay, Brian well, Lewerke, not Justin the, Herbert. They don't throw the ball over more than 10 yards. Justin Herbert's throwing that. He's throwing yeah. that pigskin down the field. They're going after okay, it. Okay, he's throwing down the sometimes, field. Sometimes, sometimes. So, I mean, the, the numbers add up for Oregon to well, win this game by a couple touchdowns. Too bad it's not offense against offense on the field. It's, it's offense not. against defense. You're right. So then you flip it over, and you're you're absolutely right. Here's Michigan State defensively, number one in rush defense in the nation. Number they, one. Stout. Stout. Kenny, Kenny Willekes. They're holding end. teams under 100 yards seven times this year. Under 100. The entire team. Number 13 the nation in scoring D, and number 14 the nation in, in total defense, holding opponents under 311 yards. But they won't do that today. Oh, he's coming in. They high. won't do it today. They're not going to hold the Ducks on. Herbert's going to throw for over 300, let alone Verdell rushing over 75, 80 yards, okay? It's going to happen. Dude, bold predictions for He's Lomax excited. He's coming back. One. He he's... made the announcement. I'm coming back. I'm playing my senior year. Yeah. Man, let's, let's get it going, guys. All right, well. Michigan State does have a couple of absences as well at some key spots. We're going to talk about that in the final segment of this hour coming up next. As for Oregon, everybody's available. Everybody's playing in this game. That's a major blessing for them and Mario Cristobal and company. Continue to preview this game. Plus, James Crappy of the Oregonian is coming up at 11.05 live from Santa Clara. Nick Aliotti at 11.35 as well. And we'll make our final picks on this game. Countdown to kickoff. Tudor Newby, Neil Lomax on the game. It's going to be a good football game. I, I don't see uh, it being a runaway either way. Michigan State's not going to blow out Oregon. And Oregon, there's a chance that they blow out Michigan State. But every way I look at this, matchups on the field, I still think this is going to be a close football game. Countdown to kickoff, Judah Newby, Neil Lomax. What does what Vegas have for over-under? What's 46 right now, and I'm taking the under. I'll take the over then. Really? For an, just because I don't want to ever agree with you. That's kind of my role here. That you, is true. you said black hat for Neil Brian. I, I just want to. So I'll, I'll definitely go over on that. We'll do an adult beverage on that. That's an easy win for me. So listen, I'll just check that box off. Neil, can I be honest with you for a second? And you, so you've been lying to me ever since? No, no. So now you're just, actually going to say I'm, something you mean? It's to amplify the point. Not okay. To, what? what what are we going to do, man? We, we've been making bets all year. College football's been great. Now college football's over. What are we going to do? Well, you got to pay up your bets. Season? You have to pay your bets. And right now, so far, I got you down like $2,000. Oh, so far, that, that's, that's includes food and gratuities, by the way. <laughs> gratuities, lunch, I'll give you. For all you, the lunches I've been buying, you, you little have fed me well, man. Weasel. You have, yeah, you're you have great. We, well. have, we have and, a great and time. And to be fair, you know, full disclosure, I've paid back a good amount of uh Full of what, disclosure. Of what I've... Uh, of what I've got off. Yeah, here, you, you're like you Venmo me like eighteen dollars or something. Whatever. <laughs> eighteen dollars. What Venmo is in fifty-seven no, cents. You've been great. We 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 have good chemistry. We got we like to argue. We're friends, and it's I'll just best, go. Man. It's it's point counterpoint. That's kind of yeah. what it's Saturday Night Live stuff. So I'll but, take but, but I'll take you over. We we yeah we got to be able to make more bets in the off season too. Is is my is my thing. I don't know. Well, this we American gonna... Alliance League thing. Oh. I'm so excited about. Yeah. The over-under for yeah. new Heisel wins. <laughs> no, it's no, the over-under is how many games until they cancel the season. That's exactly three and a half. No, they actually, they got money from CBS and the NFL Network. That's so right. So there's money. Because Dick Ebersol's kid, Charlie, is yeah. is running that thing, and they're a great TV executive family. 
So Not that I know that's a segue about into Michigan State's defense is going to hold these. It's going to be under. You got the under. I got the under on this game, yeah. Okay. And, you know, Michigan State defensively, they're going to be without a couple of guys that decide to skip the bowl game to enter the NFL draft. Most notable among them on the defensive side of the ball, Justin Lane, second team, all Big Ten, cornerback. Yep. Foregoing the bowl game, foregoing a senior year, going into the NFL draft. Neil, how might that affect a Michigan State secondary that's trying to key in on really one monster target in Dylan Mitchell? Yeah, communication. It's huge that you're with your corners and your safeties. And, you know, the, the chemistry, too. And that's a question I love to throw out to Jordan or another coach. And maybe if we can get Nick on that to ask Coach Aliotti, what does the chemistry like when you have one of your your starters, one of your leaders? And you're not going to say he's selfish. I mean, come on. he ha, He's thinking the best interest of himself, that this is my best opportunity, stay healthy, go to the combine. I have no problem with that. No problem with that. You're selling ESPN or Kuiper has him on the top 10 corners. Kuiper has him as his 10th best cornerback that's draft eligible. But you have a chance, though, to go up against Dylan Mitchell? That, you, no, that's a Dylan, stock profile one. And, and, and hey, match me up. I'm, the, I'm saying I'm the best because I'm going to go to the NFL. And I have a chance in this beautiful red box bowl in Santa Clara to, to go match up with Dylan Mitchell. Guy has 1,000 yards receiving uh, with, with the Ducks. 69 catches. 1,000, you know, he's got nine touchdowns. Dylan Mitchell is having a pretty good year. Last couple weeks, though, the last few games of the season went so. But I would love that. For me personally, I'd love that matchup. And, you know, are you going to go to Georgia Tech or something? Yeah. I'm a corner. I mean, it's a wing tee. Let's go to the pros. So hmm. chemistry and communication is the two questions I would like to ask Coach Aliotti. When you lose a starting corner, you know, I think it's more – it hurts them more than losing – a running back, and that's what Michigan State has lost. Right when uh, it's um, L.J. L.J. Scott. Scott, their senior, who had a pretty good year last year, but he was hurt for four or five games. So L.J. Scott announces he's going to go pro. So you're missing one of your running backs, but he only he only had like 450 yards of rushing. Nobody jumps off the the, the page here offensively for Michigan State. No, they really it's don't. Diff- defensively, if you want to talk about their defense, let's start with that defensive end. Yeah, Kenny, number 48, Kenny Willis. You're going to see number 48. Flying around from the left end, the right hand, right hand today. So I tell you what, Panay Sewell on the left hand side, Throckmorton right hand. You better have your your head on a swivel. Forty eight is coming. And I think he's got some versatility. He's got the ability to be you know D tackle when called upon in, in run stuffing situations. He's got the ability to rush from that seven technique that you were mentioning earlier. This is a guy with twenty and a half tackles for loss in just twelve games. And you think about the talent in the Big Ten on the defensive line. Kenny Willickis is yeah, your big Michigan's, head. Michigan State's, and eight sacks. Yeah. He's got eight sacks He's coming in this He's your conference defensive lineman of the year. I know Nick Bosa didn't play the whole year, and that matters, but at Ohio State, but Willickis is, is one special talent. Oregon's going to have their hands full with him, and Neil, they've also, Sparty's got a playmaker at the linebacker position Yeah, number well. 35 is, is, is fun to watch. Uh, I believe it's Baki. Yeah. Joe Baki, how I pronounce his last name, and uh, he is he's the Mike Singletary. I was talking about him earlier. My, he is their quarterback defensively, makes all the calls. Uh, he leads the team in tackles. He has 94 tackles, one sack, so he doesn't blitz a lot. He'll play coverage. He'll be between the hash marks. You'll see number 35 between those hash marks making a lot of tackles. So Oregon offensively in this game, we know they like to run and establish that with their philosophy. But they also want to get Herbert opportunities to make some easy completions, although those have been too few and far between this season, as evidenced by the 59% completion percentage. 
What they've had a month to prepare, over a month to prepare for this matchup in particular, Neil. What do you think Mario Cristobal and Marcus Arroyo have been game planning for this game against Sparty? Just, just continue to do what they've been doing. Mm. Uh, and what I mean by that is they're, they're going to look at what they can get away with. If they're going to be five, six guys in the box, then you continue to run. If Michigan State's going to play, and Mike Tressel's the, the defensive coordinator. We just found out he's nephew. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Nephew of Jim Tressel. Correct. Three, they're a three-four kind of team. They don't want to go even fronts. They mix it up a little bit. So it'd be interesting to see if they change that at all and go to this even front. I kind of was looking on different little um, podcasts and little uh, snippets from Michigan State's media and thinking about putting more guys in the box, putting seven guys, the front seven, going more to a three-four, three-five, and only playing one high. No, don't not not having two high safeties. Only have one high safety. So again, to me, it's just check out. If you're gonna play more guys in the box, you're gonna throw it more. That's the way Oregon State Beavers could not stop the run. They couldn't. So, boom, you, you can't stop the run. We're going to continue to run the ball. And I think Oregon's going to look at this matchup and go, we're going to, again, take what you give me. I know that's an often used phrase, but it's true. I'm going to look at it offensively. Justin Herbert is going to check out. If you're going to give me that downfield throw, we're going to take it. You're going to press man-to-man without your best corner, we're going to take it. If you're going to drop in those zones, I'm going to read downfield and have a lot of checkdowns. That's what they do. That's their philosophy. And you're going to let us run the ball. C.J. Vardell, Travis Dye, hello. Yeah, there have only been six programs in the Power Five that have had a running back combination, each have 700 yards themselves. One of those six programs is the Oregon Ducks with C.J. Vardell and Travis Dye, each going over 700 yards this year. Also, both of them just happen to be freshmen coming back next season. Yeah. We go into Hour 2 and kick it off with James Crepia live from Santa Clara. Coming up on Countdown to Kickoff with Jude Danube and the College Football Hall of Famer Neil Lomax on 102.9-750 The Game. Hour number two, countdown to kickoff. Judah Newby, Neil Lomax. We go live to Santa Clara in a couple of moments, talking to James Crepia of the Oregonian and Oregon Live. Moments ago, we just broke down the Oregon Ducks offense and how they're going to take on the Michigan State defense. Uh, later on this hour, we'll talk to Nick Aliotti and get an Oregon Duck defense perspective on how to deal with Michigan State offensively. And really, you know, shouldn't be uh, too much of a challenge, Michigan State offensively. They, uh, they're pretty lackluster, Neil. Not, not a whole lot of uh, horsepower there. And they're not sexy at all. No, no question about it. There's no way to uh, kind of sugarcoat this thing. You look at their statistics. You look at Brian Willerke, who um, hasn't had the bet. Uh And actually, he's a Scottsdale kid, Chaparral High School. That's right. Uh, I remember if I was down there a couple of years ago and hearing about this kid. Um, his dad's a coach there. and So he comes from a good background. But, I mean, come on, his numbers just aren't eye-popping at all. He's only thrown for 1,868 yards, eight touchdowns. He has more interceptions than touchdowns. Um, so he, but you know who, who could have come in and play a, a little bit if you watch out um, offensively is Lombardi, the backup quarterback. So don't be surprised if you, you see number 12 come in the game, Rocky Lombardi. He's actually played in six games. He comes in once because Lewerke missed three games of an injuries, uh, different kinds of injuries. So he runs the ball a little more, but there's there's no eye popping numbers. You just can't come out and, and receivers. I mean, Darrell Stewart has 39 catches uh, for 368 yards, only one touchdown. He's number 25. But you'll see Felton Davis. I think he's their best receiver. I watched a little bit of uh, a film on Huddle, and number 18 comes in quite a bit. He's got four touchdowns. So Felton Davis, Darrell Stewart, Cody White, number seven. So Duck fans look for number seven comes in there. He's like a little slot receiver. 
plays a little bit. He's got 36 catches. But but again, overall, no. And you'd think they'd have some star running back, which that's was L.J. Scott. That's what they thought he would be their stud. They're Levonian Bell. They're their workhorse because Michigan State, they don't have the Kirk Cousins or the Connor Cooks. I don't think Brian Lewerke's like that, but they've always had a very good running back. They really have, and that's how D'Antonio likes to build his teams historically. Mm-hmm. His good defense, run the football. That uh, wins a lot of games on natural grass in the Big Ten if you do it well enough. Let's go live down to Levi Stadium in Santa Clara. Talk to our good friend James Crepia, the Oregonian in Oregon Live. You can follow him on Twitter at James Crepia. James, it's good to talk to you again on the uh, final pregame edition of Countdown to Kickoff. How are things down at Levi Stadium today? Pretty good, pretty good. It's a little bit of a brisk day and pretty windy, um, so conditions are not perfectly ideal. Uh, I'd say if it was maybe 10 or 15 degrees warmer, though I'm sure it'll warm up throughout the game. Uh, that would probably be a little better. And the wind really is. I mean, i got to say that it has been a pretty steady breeze uh, for the better part of this morning. So not sure if that's going to continue quite as uh, forcefully throughout the game or not, but a little bit out there. So for, for the fans in the stands, it's probably a, a little bit chilly uh, at the moment <laughs> leading up to the game. But uh, like I said, I'm sure it'll warm up here in the next couple hours. So fans in the stands, so can you confirm that there are people inside the stadium at Levi's? <laughs> there are a few. There are a few. Uh, most, I think, are currently uh, underneath the uh, the seats and uh, getting food and whatnot. And there are, there are plenty of people outside <clears throat> tailgating and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm ex- obviously, look, guys, I'm not expecting there to be you know, a packed house by any stretch of the imagination here, uh, especially with a, a Michigan State uh, fan base who obviously is dealing with a little bit of a disappointing season, to say the least, uh, with a 7-5 team. And then you're talking about going cross-country to see a game. Uh, not exactly, it's not exactly a marquee game. Don't expect there exactly to be an uh, unbelievable level of interest. That's a, the Oregon fans, uh, of which there are many in the Bay Area. Uh, hey, what else you got to do at noon on New Year's Eve kind of thing? Uh, so <laughs> I do think we'll be a pretty solid crowd here, uh, all things considered, uh, considering the caliber of the game involved. Big picture as we set this game up, I mean, a lot of different rumors flying about, even in the last 24 hours between the you know, uh, announcement of retirement by Mark Richt down in Coral Gables at the U, and then the 12 to 14 hours that followed of speculation, even if it was only on social media, that would Mario Cristobal consider going back to his alma mater? And where have we heard that narrative before? Not even a calendar year removed from the same thing happening with Willie Taggart. What was the last 24 hours like? Well, I mean, certainly I think everybody was pretty surprised uh, with the announcement from, from Mark Rick of his uh, retirement. Uh, just as far as the timing of it, certainly just about more than anything. Uh, but obviously, you know, you're not necessarily following Miami on a day-to-day basis. You don't know exactly, you know, all the inner workings that have been going on for the last year. But clearly, they needed to make changes. Uh, and from those who are covering the program, you start to see that yeah, there's going to be changes coming with Manny Diaz leaving, uh, or set to leave. And you knew there was going to be changes on defense, and there was obviously going to be changes coming on offense. And Mark Rick's son is was the quarterback's coach. You can understand where, having covered Mark a little bit uh, during my time in the SEC when he was at Georgia, he's a really nice man. He's a really normal guy, one of the more normal coaches you would have seen in this business. And I don't think that Mark Rick really had much of a stomach for firing his own son. Now you could say, hey, he had to hire him in the first place. Well, yes, that's, that's true. Um, but if that was a decision that had to be made, well, between some you know this tough times that Miami was having this year, uh, four-game losing streak that he referred to as you know one of the toughest times in his career. That, and then you know, really having to 
really sit there and think and go, gosh, you know, am I really going to be willing to make all these kind of changes personnel-wise to my staff in order to try and succeed going forward? And obviously he chose not to do that. So, okay, wrench gets thrown in. <laughs> so we make for an interesting uh, Sunday, to say the least. And not only to the folks down in Miami, but yes, here, obviously, with the uh, obvious connection of, of Crystal Ball in Miami. And then you have Manny Diaz and the people at Temple and everybody else uh, following quite captivatedly throughout the day. And by the end of the day, it's over. And Manny Diaz, who was back in Miami, I, I can't speak for him, but I can only presume because he was back there at the dead period and he was probably looking to be moving anyway, uh, obviously had a very quick conversation. Uh, and he was, according to reports from uh, I was seeing last night from Chris Feldman and others, Diaz started the day, he was in the midst of interviewing an offensive coordinator candidate for Temple. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, everybody was caught off guard by this. So that's what the last 24 hours was like, especially mainly yesterday, what that was like. How much of it really ultimately hit the radar of Cristobal, other than the news itself and then how much contact or whatever? I'm not sure we'll ever necessarily know exactly, but end of the day, doesn't matter. <laughs> he, yeah. he told the team he wasn't going nowhere, and it wasn't just empty talk. Obviously, he really wasn't going anywhere because whether Miami called him or not, uh, really doesn't make a difference. He ain't going anywhere. Hey, hey James, Neil Lomax here. And doesn't that say a lot about Mario Cristobal and his coaching staff when you heard the news of, you know, Justin Stan and a lot of these seniors going to stay and play in this bowl game and, you know, Throckmorton all the way down and the, the other offensive linemen, hey, man, we're all going to stay again. And I, I think that reflects not just on the college experience that maybe Justin Herbert's having. He enjoys it. That, hey, I, I'm okay with Mario here. I love him. I, I, Marcus Arroyo's okay. To me, it speaks – volumes of Mario and the coaching staff that these, especially Justin Herbert and these guys are staying and continue to play for the Ducks? No, no question. I, look, it only adds to it. If you had, because uh, let's flip the script. If it's a complete reverse, if all these guys leave, you'd be going, right. oh gosh, that, that really, you know, you can understand it for Justin. Certainly it'd be, you know, top five, well, certainly top ten, probably top five, maybe number one overall pick. You know, I understand the Cardinals have the pick, but let's be real, somebody will trade for it um, if, if he was out there. Well, okay. But if you started talking about all the underclassmen who are eligible, if they all left, well, clearly right now, not all of them are projected to be drafted this year as they come out. Um, so that would have raised real concern. You're right. In the reverse. Yeah, it certainly bodes well and speaks well to the staff in the short term, but that's, that's for this year and that's for next season, and that's what fans can be excited about. But then it's about fulfilling that promise for next year so that when there's guys thinking about the following draft and the following draft, and that's how you build, and you talk about trying to keep guys and try and get them to reach their potential. That's what this staff now has to prove. They've proved that they can go out there and recruit and get the talent. They've done that already this year. Now it's about further developing and enhancing that talent after you've acquired it. It's about developing and enhancing it while it's here. And we've seen it a bit. We have, clearly. But it, especially when you have a Justin Herbert coming back with an offensive line all returning, and probably the entire offense, let's face it. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, there's going to be some guys losing on defense. There's going to be a few. Obviously, uh, the seniors for sure. We'll hear about Troy Dye in the, the days ahead. Yes, there'll be some questions there, but this is about ultimately the offense fulfilling its potential next season. Good point. James Crappy, the Oregonian, joining us right now live from Santa Clara with a side of the Red Box Bowl, and it kicks off in just about – 45 minutes looking at this game on the field, James, Oregon and Michigan state. 
Got to be honest, the Oregon offense against the Michigan State defense is by far the most intriguing matchup to me going into this game. Uh, when you take a look at it, Ducks offensively against Sparty's run defense in particular, you know, something's got to give between one of those two matchups, doesn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's a clash of strengths. And Oregon is not going to, you know, throw throw everything out to the bowl game and say, well, you know, we wanted to be a run team the whole year. But, you know, gosh, we want to really go out there and have Justin throw the ball 50, 60 times in order to win because we're just afraid they're running against that kind of run defense. No, that's that's, that's not going to happen. That's are <laughs> still going to still going to run. Uh, now, they may not run prolifically. That's why I say, you know, how do you define success on the ground in this game? And against the Michigan State defense, you really have to find success about 100 yards rushing. And it's crazy to say, but I mean, the average is like 80 yards. Mm-hmm. And they've held seven opponents under 100. So, yeah, hitting 100 is kind of a, a pretty big indicator of success to me uh, against this team. And the teams who've tapped it, heck, the season, the season high for Penn State. Penn State lost and ran for over 200 yards against Michigan State. And this is a team that obviously, as you guys have talked about, is quite offensively challenged. That said, they're going to be boosted quite a bit with Malarkey coming back and being completely or at or close to full health. And LJ Scott playing as well also helps. And their offensive line, which had injuries to four or five starters this season, is going to be back to as close to full strength as they've been pretty much all year. So that definitely helps Michigan State's offense. But to your point, the Oregon offense, what, what can they do? What should they look to do? It is a class of strength. <laughs> Obviously, when they throw the ball, I think they have a little bit of an advantage there. Josiah Scott's a fine cornerback, so it's like four games this year. But he's a freshman All-American. He's burning his red shirt in order to play in this game. I think when he gets matched up on Dylan Mitchell, that's going to be a compelling matchup. I think when he's not matched up on Dylan Mitchell, I think Oregon has to capitalize. Has to. Because Michigan State is without its best corner. He ain't playing. Justin Lane is for going this game. So with him out, anytime that you get Mitchell in an advantage matchup where Scott is not on him, to me, you have to try and pick them apart there in the secondary. They're, they're okay. They're serviceable. But you can definitely have an advantage when Josiah Scott is not matched up with Dylan Mitchell. Otherwise, I think that's going to be quite compelling to see who wins on each individual play there. Ground game, yeah, that's going to be very interesting. Uh, everything, And it's across the board. It's not just between the tackles. Obviously, that's where they make their hay. But it's off the edge as well because Kenny Willigus is the best edge rusher that, this, that Oregon has faced all season. Also, James, you know, you talk about the conditions, the natural grass, the uh, defensive Sparty. Are you expecting kind of a a uh, low-scoring affair, relatively speaking, for Oregon-Michigan State like the rest of us? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not expecting this to be high-scoring because, for one, uh, even with Michigan State's offense getting a little bit of a boost in terms of personnel, they've never been a tempo team. <laughs> this isn't a team that's going to go, uh, go out there and look to score and win a game, you know, 42-35. to 35. That's not what Michigan State's built to do, and especially this year where, all right, even with these guys returning, it's still not what they're built to do. They're built to eat out and play old-school Big Ten football, and, uh, and I think that's, in fact, what you're going to see out there is, you know, a lot of running, a lot of power, and uh, we'll see exactly how low-scoring it is, but I would be quite surprised if either team cracked 28. I think 28 is kind of almost healing from a scoring perspective in this. Uh, I would say if it's going to happen, obviously you would figure that Oregon has more firepower. They're probably the quote more likely team to, to tap that if it were to happen. But I've said basically all week I've got it somewhere at the 21-17, 24-20 kind of ballpark because I just don't see there being a whole lot of scoring. I think yards 
and first downs are going to be at a premium on both sides. And you could say, well, what about ball security and whatnot? Well, I don't think this is going to be a whole lot of plays. So I don't think there's going to be a ton of opportunities for either team to suddenly either be coughing the ball up on the ground or throwing a ton of interceptions. I just don't think either team's going to really put their quarterbacks in those positions to be, you know, in, in, in really tough spots throwing the ball. Uh, and certainly big plays can happen, obviously, but I do. I think this is going to be a pretty low-scoring affair. Yeah, James, uh, Judah agrees with you, and so does Jordan Kent. They both had this thing around 24-17. Uh, we've, been, we've been talking about, you know, Kenny Willekes and the guys on defense offensively. What have you been seeing the last few days? Is it Connor Hayward going to carry the ball a lot with L.J. Scott out? Is it Ladarius Jefferson? Who, who, who are the guys behind the work? Are you going to carry the ball 15, 18 times? Well, from everything we've been told, Scott's playing. So, oh, I mean, he is? Yeah, I mean, so if, if L.J. Scott's going to be out there and, and going to be suiting up, and that's been everything we've heard leading up to this, uh, with his return, that's a big boost to their run. Okay, yeah. Uh, so that's, you know, that's a big, big shot in the arm. Um, so I would expect him to be certainly the bell cow. And that said, Connor Hayward was the bell cow with, <laughs> with L.J. Scott out for better part of the season. Um, now that said, he also was not incredibly prolific. Uh, but he was thrust into a hole he wasn't necessarily expected to have. And, and the offensive line was banged up as well. Don't want to make it out where the running back's no good. Again, four out of five starters were hurt at some point or for you know, or together or all simultaneously at different points in the season. So it's kind of hard to judge Hayward effectively and fairly uh, for how he performed this year because, again, the, the guys blocking in front of him were changing all the time due to injury. Hmm. So bottom up, I think Scott gets the – Majority of the carries, especially stepping back, this time wants to end his college career uh, against you know, a formidable opponent with a pretty good defense. And that's going to be interesting because, look, we can all go back to the Civil War, but you know, Jamar Jefferson didn't have a real good second half of the season once everybody got tape on him. And we know how rough Oregon State is. So containing Jamar Jefferson really wasn't all that impressive compared to how other teams performed. We know that this Oregon defense had a real rough go against better running backs. L.J. Scott, when he's fully healthy, behind a healthy offensive line, is an effective running back. Finally, James, who you got? I've picked the Ducks all week, and uh, I think a lot of people did certainly leading up to this, and like I told you, I think it's 21-17. That said, I have been paying attention to a lot and seeing clearly there's some people out there on both sides where you know, it opened at one and a half, it got to two and a half, it got down to one this morning, and now, as about 15 minutes ago, Michigan State was favored by one. Uh, so it's clearly there's a lot of action on both sides in this. And it is, look, I think it's going to be competitive. If you told me it was 21-17 Michigan State, I'd believe you. I'd say it's 21-17. I, I got Michigan State with a trick play early in this game to try to take an early well, lead. Yeah, and their defense call. better score, too, Judith. Their yeah. defense doesn't score. They're not in this game. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> hey, James, uh, we'll try to catch up with you in the post game as well. I know it will be a busy time, but uh, thanks again for joining us all year long. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. There he is, James Crepia, the Oregonian and Oregon Live. We'll go away. We'll come back. Uh, whip around the rest of the Pac-12 conference really fast, including UW, Ohio State, and the Rose Bowl tomorrow. What Neil's thoughts on that? Nick Aliotti joins us at 11.35, and we make our final picks for this game in the final segment. Taking you up till noon, Judah Newby, Neil Lomax on Countdown to Kickoff, 102.9, the game. Nick Aliotti will join us here in a few minutes as we continue Rolling up till noon, kickoff for Ducks and Spartans. Pac-12 football finally got a bowl win for the first time in over a calendar year, courtesy the Cougs. Washington State winning the Alamo Bowl 28-26. 
Gardner Minshew having himself a game, and boy, did they need it. Boy, did the Pac-12 need that. you got to be able to beat a team like Iowa State from the Big 12. At least uh, the Pac-12 got back in the victory Thank column. God for that, because I had like 32 confidence points on that one, too, in my family <laughs> bowl picks. And uh, How about the mad scientist, the mad hat? I mean, it's second down. It's a, it's minute eight, minute, no, minute 30 left, mm-hmm. and you got to get a first down. But still, run. they had Iowa State, no timeouts. 90% of us run the ball. Run the ball, get that clock going down. He throws a little eight-yard stick route, back shoulder, press coverage. Desmond the stash Patman. the stash puts it, Menchie puts it right there on the collarbone, <laughs> complete. And and Leach is over there with his little, you know, his little napkin, his cocktail napkin that has <laughs> the entire offense written down with a blue ink pen on a ca- cocktail napkin. Just, oh, yeah, okay, we call it stick, stick. Sticks 42. Oh, we just call it Stick 42. Yeah. What? It I love it. Yeah. And Patman, great catch. He cradled it between his legs. So we got some Pac-12 ground. teams need to win the day, though, Judah. Dude, do we ever I got know, Utah winning. So come on now, Utah. Mm-hmm. Win that game. Yeah, you got Utah and Northwestern uh, coming up later on tonight as well. Plus uh, Stanford and Pitt. Right. 9.35 to go in the first quarter. That one's underway. The Hyundai Sun Bowl. Boy, whenever I think Pitt in the Sun Bowl, I think of that. Is that still in El Paso, by mm-hmm. the way? It's Down still in so that El Paso. Texas yeah. town of El Paso. Yeah. Marty Robbins. Uh, yeah. LaShawn McCoy, that Pitt team that played, I think, Lyle Moivau, Oregon State. Right. Yeah, I think it was Moivau's Oregon State team. And Evanson Bernard, I think, uh, was a hero Yeah, when the Beavs went down time. to El Paso and played mm-hmm. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I remember that game. Although the, the Pitt-Oregon State game I'm thinking of was 9-6 Beavers, I think. Like a super low scoring, like windy as heck. I think it was three nothing actually. Was it th- Seriously? I think it was, was three nothing. Was that a Sun Bowl game? Yep, because it was like thirty mile per hour. Wind. Oh yeah, it was, it was crazy. crazy. My good friend Jeff Swan was down there sending me texts about exactly. I remember that. You're He's a right. big beaver. He's calling me up, going, "This is was it thirty mile an hour winds. It was like thirty degrees. Just, really bad." Ju- Justin uh, Kehu hit a forty four yard field goal for the win. What a downwind, by the way. It wasn't yeah. into the wind. Guess was who not. Uh, Pitt's coach was. Oh, uh, yeah, he's on it. NFL Network yeah. now. Or he's on Fox now. Fox now. Yeah. You keep. Oh, what? <laughs> you love uh, I tell you what, man. I hate these senior moments. I'm getting more and more and more. I'm gonna. I'm hey, gonna, hey, hey, I'm gonna guy... go with my concussion settlement with the NFL here. <laughs> I am gonna get a lawsuit. I'm telling you. I need like millions for this. These dings I've had. Wanstead. For, uh, Wanstead. Yeah. Dave Wanstead. Yeah. God, dude. <laughs> what are you coaching the pro? What what team was he the pros? He was a few teams in the pros, right? Yeah, but he, he coached around. the Bears. There you go. Because the go. Bears played the Niners in the divisional round of the 94 playoffs. What What's wrong with Well, that? this game today won't be 3 to nothing. It I will be. guarantee you that. I'm going on the over. Y'all, you knuckleheads, are going 21 points, 23 points. I say the Ducks score over 28 points in Imagine this game. Imagine that. Neil Lomax I'm just going to go that. Favoring the offense. And I, I love you know, Unbelievable. I, I, I didn't have a dog in the fight, but Justin Herbert coming back to me again, it, it's awesome. The mm-hmm. unselfishness. You and I talked about it on on uh, your show. It's not Gonzano's show anymore. It never shows <laughs> no, up. No, so it's Gonzano. It's Gonzano's He's out. And by the way, his, his poster's sitting right here. Golly. It looks good. John, you, you, you really... It looks good. I, I don't know. Need some surgery. <laughs> a little surgery here and there might help. Uh, Herbert, though. Hey, 95 more yards to reach 7,000 for his Oregon Duck career. Amazing. You know, that that's... I mean, I threw the ball a whole lot at Portland State. I had, like, I'd say that. I had 13,500 yards. Got you in so the Justin, Hall of Fame. Justin, you got to get five, get get about five thousand more yards next year, dude. Do it. Come on now, I love it. He needs. He leads the Pac-10 completions, tied tenth all in the country, twenty-eight passing touchdowns. He leads the conference in completions. That can't be right because Minshew did. 
50 yards or more. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're right. But the stash had total completions. But a 50-plus yards or more, thank God for Dylan Mitchell right. with that one. So that, there's some clutch chunk plays, explosion plays that the Oregon Ducks will continue to do, and I think you'll get a couple today. I think you will as well, but we'll see if they can put it in the paint. Michigan State defensively obviously very good, but if they are vulnerable, they'll be vulnerable in the back end of their secondary. All right, Josiah Carrera's got an update coming for you next, as well as Nick Aliotti joining us in about uh, four minutes here on 102.9-750 The Game. Countdown to kickoff coming up, uh, final couple of segments. Up next, myself and Neil Lomax on 102.9-750 The Game. All right, couple of final segments on the last pregame show of the year on uh, Countdown to Kickoff. Nick Aliotti joins us in a couple of moments here. Judah Newby and the College Football Hall of Famer Neil Lomax. Boy, take a look at this betting line. And James Creppy is right. It currently reads Michigan State minus one as a favorite. And this morning it was Oregon minus two. So a lot of movement here, Neil. I mean, it just goes to show you, depending on who you're asking and as we get closer to kickoff, this is a tight football well, game. Well, it's a pick them then. It, yeah. Come on, it's a pick them. And if you're a West Coast guy and you like the Ducks, you like what Justin Herbert's coming back, you're looking at that going, if I had some cash, I'm putting it down on Oregon. It's even. I mean, it's even. Oregon have to give up a field goal or anything. But if you're a Midwest guy and you love smashing Big Ten football and you look at the statistics defensively, I'm glad Nick's coming on board. because he, he loves that side of the ball. And uh, I do too. I appreciate it. But that doesn't win these kind of bowl games it's they've been off for 35 there's so much involved with that but um you know everything was telling me up till last wednesday or thursday we were told scott would not play you know offensively for that lj scott was not going to play he is going to go he to made the, the trip yeah. he made the trip well no he's going to the nfl mm-hmm. but we knew he made the trip but you know james has told us so i don't know you know 15 18 carries from lj scott's going to mean the difference i still have you know again i, I think oregon's going to score over 28 points in this game and uh, with that, we'll bring in Coach Aliotti. Coach, how you doing today? Happy New Year, men. Good to visit with you again. Yeah, it's it, been a while, Nick. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Man, you're going to some – where are you going to coach now, Coach? Where are you going, AALF? What, what's, what city are you going to? We're going to Arizona. We're the Arizona Hot Shots. Can you please have me come? I'll just, I'll, I'll tell you, what, I'll just be your special teams coach. I'll be assistant quarterback <laughs> coach because I'll get you on every golf course that you want to get on. I'll take care of that for you, Nick. Oh man, we could use you as a quarterback. Coach. <laughs> and if you, you can, what. I tell you what, Nick, if you can guarantee the offensive line just two and a half, three seconds, I can play. Just. <laughs> Just, if you just give me three, just three seconds before they get to me, I'll tell you, I'll, I will get rid of that ball in three seconds. I would take you in a heartbeat, Lomax. <laughs> I, I love Nick. I love Ali. I love that. Oh, God. There's no, a lot of bubble screens, a lot of uh, hard counts, Coach, for uh, for Lomax here. Scottsdale Swirls or something, whatever the guys are, <laughs> Phoenix. Well, this, uh, good hey, for you. When are you headed down, Coach? It's interesting. I leave Thursday. You know, we go to San Antonio. There's eight teams, four in the West, four in the East, and all eight teams are having training camp in San Antonio. Uh, And I only – the reason I think they're doing that is so that you could have, after your first couple weeks, some crossover drills against one another because, you know, you just have the four weeks and then you get going with your regular game. So – uh, that's kind of going to be your preseason, the, the way I'm <laughs> imagining it. There's a lot of unknowns, 
AAF stands for Adaptable, Adjustable, and Flexible. <laughs> but there's money. You got, you got, you got money. You got CBS Sports. Come on, you got NFL Network. It's okay, Nick. You, you're, you'll cash that game check really quick, though. I know you'll probably put that thing right in the bank right away. It'll be interesting, Neil. It'll be interesting. So I'm looking forward to it. It's a new challenge. I like the format of it. I like the fact that it's four months and it's during the winter. So I'll get out of here and get to some warm weather and coach a little football and hopefully, hopefully could help a few guys uh, reach their goal of getting a chance to the NFL. You know, it's, I liken it to a triple-A baseball. It's triple-A football. Yeah. They're finally having triple-A football is what they're having. Now, Nick, are they going to play at Sun Devil Stadium or you – not the big one. You're not going to State Farm State. Where will they play? No, we're going to be in we're going to be in Sun Devil okay. Stadium. Uh, but we're actually going to practice. I think at uh, the Cardinal Card Complex. Yeah, because I know the NFL yeah. Network's involved with it. Well, good for you, Nick. But again, you you need to get on any golf course. You let me know. I'll take care of you, Coach. All right. You you're welcome anytime to come down, Neil, for a couple of days, evaluate the team, and. And then we'll go hit it a little bit. Awesome. Judah, you have any questions, Judah, or we let, can we let Nick no, go? No, Coach, that's all we need. <laughs> uh, Happy New Year. <laughs> Happy New Year. Okay. <laughs> uh, before we let you go, though, while you look at uh, Ducks, Michigan State, uh, what jumps out to you about this matchup? Obviously, Michigan State, very strong defensively. Oregon strength is their offense as well. That side of the ball is going to be pretty interesting. Justin Herbert taking on that Mark D'Antonio defense. You know, Michigan State always plays tough, smash-mouth defensive football. And, uh, you know, they pretty much – the bottom line is Michigan State's a team that – and I haven't really studied them this year, so I'd be lying if I said that I know exactly what they're doing. But what I know is they're a, they're a, a quarters team with eight, nine-man boxes. So I think the thing that Oregon has to do is spread them out and let Herbert throw the ball. Uh, I think that they'll have a harder time in space, that be Michigan State – than if you bunch it up and put a bunch of bodies in the box because that's what they like to do. And if you look at Michigan State, I don't think they're going to score many points. Uh, Oregon's played good defense, not great defense, but good enough and have, has looked very good at, at times throughout the season. But Michigan State scored 26 points in their last three games. That's in three games and, and beat Rutgers 14-10 to 10 or something like that. So I don't see how... You know, I got to believe Oregon could score 21 to 24 points, and I don't see how Michigan State's going to score those points unless they just get some great special teams play or some turnovers. So I see the Ducks, in my opinion, I'm surprised at the one point spread, two point spread, either way. I see the Ducks winning by a touchdown uh, pretty easily if they come to play, and I got to believe that they will with all the new juice from Justin Herbert coming back. So I look for the Ducks having a good game today and, and, and beating Michigan State. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Nick. And, yeah, offensively, I look at their numbers, and I just want to throw up. I say, oh, my God, their best offensive play is the punt. It's just, are yeah. you kidding me? Just punt the damn ball, and you guys are – I mean, it's just – it's staggering. It's almost – you look at them and go, is that like the first five games of the season, these numbers? Because you look at Oregon's numbers. But, you know, my question for you, Nick, is defensively for them. So, Justin Lane is out. They, they say that their best corner. And they ESPN or whatever's got them a ranked top eight or ten corners coming out in the draft. But you lose your corner. I know it's not quite your safety. You kind of your communication guy in the secondary, Nick. But what does that do? Chemistry, communication, losing your best, really your best cover guy before this game, and what, how does that affect the other players in the secondary? 
Well, it's going to affect them tremendously. Obviously, the corners, a lot of times, as you know, Neil, they're told what to do most of the time. The great ones understand the whole concept, but most of the time the safeties are doing all the checking and the communication. But losing a great corner, particularly as we talked about earlier, Michigan State wants to play in a phone booth. They want you to bunch it up, mm-hmm. play in the box, and, and now if Oregon spreads it out, you're talking about some space for Dylan Mitchell or somebody out there at receiver where you know that you already lost your best corner, so now you're playing with your second and third corners. Somebody's going to have a mismatch to a certain degree, and if you spread it out, now they got to play with three corners if they go to nickel and dime and those kinds of things. So I really think, you know, I really think Oregon's best chance is to spread it out. You have to run it some, but spread it out. Start early with the pass, loosen them up a little bit, then mix mix in some run. I think that's Oregon's best chance. Talking to Nick Aliotti, the former Oregon Duck defensive coordinator, Pac-12 network analyst, and soon-to-be defensive coordinator with Rick Neuheisel down in the Alliance of American Football. Looking forward to watching that. Uh, You know, Nick, I talked to you on the radio last week. I also talked to Neil on the radio last week about uh, Justin Herbert and his decision to return. Uh, 2019, Oregon football, what should the level of expectation for them be given that Herbert's coming back and the entire O-line's coming back, some key playmakers are going to be back in uniform. I think expectations will be very high. I think that Oregon will be one of, if not the favorite, to win the Pac-12. Whenever you have a quarterback coming back at Justin Herbert's caliber and now going to be a four-year starter, and if Mitchell comes back and Dye comes back and all those kind of guys, I think they have almost all their offense coming back. What a heck of a start that is. If they could just find a couple more receivers and a bell cow running back. I thought Verdell did some really good things, as did the young die kid. But if they could find a couple running backs that can, you know, carry the load, get a little bit more production there, and then another receiver or two to complement Dylan Mitchell if he decides to stay, and I think he will, but we won't get into that right now, then I think that Oregon's offense with the line coming back, the experience, I think they could be very, very good. I know they lose some really good defensive players, and I don't know the depth there and everybody that's coming back as well as you guys do. I used to know that kind of stuff, but I don't really stay with it until the season's going again. But I think Oregon should have a very good football team, and the expectations are to win the Pac-12 championship. I really do. I think anything less than nine wins, and that being a coach, I even – catch myself saying this and feel bad saying it, but anything less than nine wins would probably be a disappointment because mm-hmm. they have a lot of the pieces coming back. I think they would agree with you as well, though. I mean, they, the hashtag on social media this year was hashtag take the pack. I mean, they were pretty forthright with their goals for trying to win the conference. They ended up finishing fourth in their own division, but that's not to say you can't set expectations high for next year as well. And, you know, Coach, you know me too. I'm guilty of looking ahead a little too quick as much as anybody. But I keep thinking about the seniors on this defense right now, like Jalen Jelks and Justin Hollins and Ugo Amadi. I know you've got love for Ugo, Coach. You know, what kind of role does it, how important is it to have those stalwart senior leaders on a defense? And seeing them in the Duck uniform for the last time will be pretty special today. Those guys have been great players, and and I'm a real big fan of all three of those guys, but in particular, Ugo Amadi. To me, 
he's the kind of football player you love to surround yourself with. If you have 11 of those kind of guys on defense, or at least eight or nine of them, I mean, he just really, when I watch him play, he understands what's going on, uh, not only in the back end, but the total defense. And, and he's a smart football player as well as a good athlete. And anytime I used to talk about in terms of understanding leads to control, meaning this simply, when you understand what you're supposed to be doing and you couple that with what the offense is doing, you can really control the situation. And he appears to me to be a guy that really does that. The more guys that you, get, that you got on your team and understand everything that you're doing defensively and understand what that offense is trying to do by formation and personnel and all that, the more you can control the situation. And that makes you a better team. And Ugo Amadi has been that leader. Losing him is going to be key. But I also think that today, if I can uh, a little bit take a sidetrack, I think today is key to understand. I know it will be a different team next year. It won't be totally the same team. But I think today is very important that Oregon puts their best foot forward and gives us a preview of what they're going to be next year because uh, we're obviously expecting a lot. Herbert coming back is a big deal. So I'm, I'm very anxious to watch this game today, excited to see how Oregon plays. You know, Nick, that's interesting you brought that up because Jordan Kent and I were talking about that an hour, hour and a half ago. This is not so much the end of 2018 and, hey, let's – really go out and send the seniors out, which is important. And Jordan brought that up. But to me it was, I made a comment, this is the pre-pre-preseason game for 2019. I mean, there's their schedule they have next year. I mean, Auburn, Auburn, and they got to go on the road to Stanford, on the road to Washington. And Jordan made the same comment. They don't win nine, nine and a half, ten games. It's a disappointment. And for me, it says a lot about the coaching staff, and I want your take on that. All these guys, the offensive line are all coming back. Justin Herbert's comeback. To me, that says a lot about what Mario is doing and Marcus Arroyo is doing and the atmosphere they're creating down there, that these guys want to stay around and play some more ball. Absolutely. They're enjoying playing football for Cristobal and, and that staff there. It's very uh, evident to me when you hear the players talk uh, with their respect and love for Cristobal and that staff, a guy like Herbert who could have made millions of dollars, is staying for a reason, for some reason, whether he doesn't think he's ready or he's just enjoying playing college football at the University of Oregon with these guys and for Cristobal. So I, I couldn't agree with you more. The expectations will be high next year, and they should be. And today is really, I look at it, is what is 2019 mm -hmm. going to look like? Mm -hmm. I know you lose some guys. You know, it won't be Jelf, won't be Hollins. Won't be a Amadi. There'll be guys they have to replace on defense. But offensively, they are really set. And as I watch college football today, boy, it's hard to play defense. You've got to be crazy to be a defensive coordinator. You've got to be absolutely out of your mind. And I see Oregon is a team that is going to put up 35-plus almost every game because of what they have coming back. Uh I really like their team coming back, particularly offensively. And sounds like you like them by about a touchdown today. Oh, yeah. I, 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 I have a hard time seeing Michigan State score. I, I really do. I don't, I don't know where they're going to generate their offense. You know, I don't know if the quarterback's going to play or not. You guys probably know better than I. Lewerke, or mm -hmm. however you pronounce yep. his name. Brian Lewerke. He, he, he is playing. And, but, again, he's done nothing all year, Nick. I mean, he hasn't. He's just average. He's, don't throw any interceptions, and our punt team's coming on. That, that's, yeah, yeah. I, I just don't know where Michigan State generates any offense. I, and, I, and I can't see Oregon not scoring 21 to 24 points. And therefore, uh, 
it, nothing's ever easy. We know that Oregon, you take the Oregon State game out, has struggled on the road. In a sense, this is a road game, but it's a road game for both teams. It's a road game. Uh, Michigan State doesn't have their crowd, but but they've struggled on the road. So that's the thing they have to overcome. I think this is this is interesting to me because it is, in my mind at least, the first game of next season. That's exactly Even though it goes off on this season, it's a bowl game. I'm curious to watch how this Oregon team plays with knowing that Herbert's coming back, knowing that they have their love for crystal ball, the O-line coming back, just a lot of things in place. So we're going to get a a preview of 2019 here in about 15 minutes. Coach, it's so good to hear your voice. Thanks for taking the time, as always, on our Countdown to Kickoff show to talk football with uh, myself and Neil. It's been a blast all year. You know, I have truly enjoyed the both of you guys. I'm not just saying that. It's been a been fun for me also i'm in hopes that we could do it again next year i don't decide all that stuff but i'd love to do it if, if they're up for it and you guys are up for it but i want to wish you both a happy new year and lomax bring those clubs down i'm not very good but i like to play and if i get strokes i i can be tough you just you just bring cash yeah this cash is good with me and i'll tell you what i'm coming down that whole phoenix open week we come down every year and we'll go talking stick mesa country club True North, oh, you, you you take a break from those you know those what thirty minute practices you guys will probably have because there's some rules <laughs> in what? place you can't practice more than thirty minutes probably. Jeez. Oh God, the <laughs> NFL. Yeah, we don't get me started there. <laughs> there, just so you know, there are rules. Before I let you guys go, and I know you got to go. Defensively, no. Offensively, you can do everything you want, and defensively, you can never bring more than five and no secondary yeah. blitzes and oh. no two adjacent linebackers. No, I, I love. It. I was actually online, and we had New Heisel. I talked to him a few weeks ago. I didn't re- realize he was your coach, though. But I was talking about man, no extra points. You can't kick anything. You can't touch. Yeah. I, I love it, man. I think it's going to be fun to watch. It's going to be on CBS Network. And but anyway, I'm coming down next month, Nick, and uh, we'll definitely tee it up. I'd love to see you, Neil. Please get in touch. You guys have a great day and happy new year. Happy new year to you and yours, Coach Nick Aliotti. God bless that man. We'll go away, come back with our picks for the Red Box Bowl. Final segment, countdown to kickoff, is next on 1029-750 the game. Was well, another big show in the books, another big year of countdown to kickoff in the books as well. Big thank you to James Crappy of the Oregonian joining us all year. Nick Aliotti as well. Just classic gold stuff. Jordan Kent, Brian Perkins too, and uh, Neil. Pre-game, countdown to kickoff, final one of 2018, saying goodbye, but we'll be doing this again in the post-game right after final whistle, as always. Yeah, we got uh, two hours to get some phone calls in, talk to some folks who saw the game, get their input, but right now our discussion is over, under, the point spread, all that, but man, I'll tell you what, it, Justin Herbert coming back, he has 28 touchdown passes so far this year. He's going to end it with 30 or more. I got C.J., He's going to get 80, 90 yards. Travis dies, going to rush for 50, 60 yards. I, I just think offensively they're a lot better team than Michigan State's defense. And that is the, quote, sexy matchup. Yeah. Offense versus defense. I got Oregon's offense. And you got what's your score? 31-14. 31-14, Ducks. I will take Oregon in overtime, 23-16. So Kansas plan. What? It's a Kansas plan, by the way. That's what it is in overtime. Oh. The 25-yard line. Oh, really? Look that up. It's called the Kansas plan. Oh, Little okay. Nugget for you folks. Professor Lomax, as always, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see you in the postgame as well on 1029-750 The Game.